This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm really scared. I don't feel I'm safe at schools anymore. Tonight, back to class without a mask. The concerns and calls for stricter COVID protocols plus. It's going to be our most significant uh, problem that we have to deal with. Staffing issues, why it's shaping up to be a challenging summer, and... We're here, we're doing it. The Canadian Indigenous delegation is finally in Rome for historic talks with the Pope. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Nitu Garcha is on assignment. For thousands of BC students, their families and teachers, spring break is over. Monday also marks the first time this year students will be returning to class without having to wear a mask. And as Grace Kay reports, that has some concerned. Annie Ohana is getting her classroom ready at L.A. Matheson Secondary in Surrey for the return of students after the spring break. On her to-do list, putting up signs, letting her students know mask wearing is a personal choice and that any decision will be treated with respect. The reality is there are still people that have very strong feelings and, and it can be quite like it almost feels like bullying, to be quite honest. And I just don't want that. So if a student feels they need to wear the mask not a problem. If a student feels they're not going to be wearing the mask, not a problem, right? When children return back to school on Monday, masks will no longer be required for students, staff and visitors. Not everyone supports the decision, especially with families returning from travel during the break. We would like masks in schools. Um, schools are not a, a, a choice. They are a essentially students' workplaces and educators' workplaces. And because of that, we really feel that those protections are needed in an, uh, an environment where there is minimal ventilation filtration upgrades. They don't have the option of social distancing. We're still in the rainy season, so most education is going to happen inside. So masks are still needed. I'm really scared because I don't feel I'm safe at schools anymore because the main layer of protection has been taken down. With 45,000 public school teachers, the BC Teachers Federation says there are going to be differing levels of opinions. There's going to be a need to transition back and there's going to be some very different comfort levels. Um, so our hope is that when we, as we're doing that, people respect the choice to wear a mask or not. Um, you know, some people feel they need it, some people may not, but we hope everyone's thinking kind of with a trauma-informed lens when they make that choice about not just themselves, but everyone else that they're spending their time with. And if you did travel outside the country during the break, federal rules require people returning to Canada to wear a mask in both indoor and outdoor public spaces for 14 days. Grace Key, Global News. Now, with most COVID restrictions now lifted, many are hoping this summer will be well, almost normal. But a worker shortage could scuttle that. BC Ferries issued a warning on Friday. And now, as Kristen Robinson reports, other industries, including hospitality, say they need staff. The kitchens are sizzling at Romer's. Thanks in part to the foreign worker program, 
which is helping with employee turnover. Out front, the restaurant is looking to hire up to 75 people for its three Metro Vancouver locations ahead of summer patio season and amid unprecedented staffing challenges. We've never seen anything like it, so we're battling hard uh, amongst ourselves to, to make ourselves pretty attractive to employees. BC restaurants, pubs and bars are expecting a 30% boost in sales after losing 30,000 employees or more than 15% of the industry's workforce during two years of stop and start restrictions. It's going to be hard to get them back, so we're going to have to look at recruiting new people. It's going to be a real challenge. The entire province has a labor challenge. This is going to be a challenging year. Following a two-year roller coaster of restrictions, the Peony is back from its wild ride of reduced capacity and COVID constraints. The 112th Summer Fair will be hiring between 1,000 to 1,500 people over the next couple of months. We consider ourselves a first job employer, which means we recognize that you do not need to have experience to get experience. And From skilled trades to entry-level and low-barrier positions, 40 different gigs are up for grabs at BC's largest youth employer. But again, I think all of us are going to struggle. Every organization is looking to, to find the, the best and the brightest. The province's restaurant industry also competing in the hiring game. It will be launching a social media campaign aimed at families who have kids looking for first jobs. Go to your favorite restaurants and say, look, I want to get some experience. I want to work. That's going to help. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It didn't take long, just days after the provincial government announced an ICBC fuel relief rebate for motorists, there's a text message scam about it making the rounds. The insurance corporation tweeted out a warning today saying it's aware some customers have received text messages regarding their rebate. They say these messages are fake. They're not issuing any rebates via text message or email. You're advised to delete them. This is what the fake message looks like. It urges people to click on a link to get the $110 rebate. Again, do not click on it. Simply delete the message. You can get legitimate information on the rebate program from ICBC's website. Members of an Indigenous delegation from Canada arrived in Rome today ahead of historic meetings this week with Pope Francis that begin tomorrow. Arnitu Garcha spoke to some of the delegates shortly after they landed, and she joins us now from Rome with more. Nitu, what did the delegates you spoke with have to say? Well, Colleen, I spoke to a BC delegate shortly after the group touched down, and she said it's surreal to be here because she feels this will be a watershed moment in the efforts to advance reconciliation. And she says that feeling was only reinforced as she walked off the plane with more than 60 others from Canada. This topic of reconciliation and like trying to pave a new path forward is really, I think as we land here, that's, I think that's reiterated to me. It's like, we're here, we're doing it. 32 of them are delegates from First Nations, Inuit and Métis communities. The rest are their family members, close friends, staff and mental health support workers. Some have never left Canada before and coming to another country, let alone meeting with the head of the Catholic Church to advocate for tangible change for their people is overwhelming. They arrived shortly before Pope Francis gave his regular weekly address. There was no mention of the Indigenous delegation traveling here to meet him, but as he gave this speech, the kind he's often used in past years to emphasize the importance of listening, 
His chance to truly practice what he preaches begins on Monday. It marks the start of the largest ever delegation to Vatican City from Canada to meet with Pope Francis for private meetings. Delegates will make multiple asks to support long-term healing, including a formal apology for the residential school system that left a lasting legacy of trauma and violent racism amounting to genocide, according to a 2019 inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Now elders like Angie Creer will share their stories, inevitably showcasing their strength at a time of reckoning when more people than ever before are listening. Nobody wanted us. Oh, the white don't want you, then nothing. Indian don't want you, nobody wants you. Nobody will ever belong to anyone. I got news for them. I have an identity. I'm, I belong to the nation of Alberta. Two of the three groups, the Inuit and Métis, will have separate morning sit-downs with the pontiff on Monday. The amount of time devoted to private meetings with Pope Francis is historic, but the delegates we've heard from directly say whether that leads to action, accountability, and a formal apology is what will make this moment truly meaningful. Colleen? Thank you, Nitu. And a toll-free 24-hour confidential phone line is available for residential school survivors and their families. The number is 1-800-721-0066. A Kelowna RCMP officer was stabbed while responding to a call just after midnight. Police say the officer was called to a disturbance in the 1000 block of Ellis Street and soon after called for immediate assistance. Several other officers rushed to the scene where a suspect was arrested. The officer and the suspect were taken to Kelowna General Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police are looking for witnesses as well as dash cam or door cam video of the incident. Interior Health is warning drug users in Penticton about a powerful opioid. The substance being sold has high amounts of fentanyl and benzodiazepine etimzolam. The purple substance with gray chunks carries a high risk of overdose, with a potentially, which could be potentially fatal. Health officials say individuals will experience long periods of sleep and drowsiness, and naloxone may not help. Anyone taking illicit drugs is being reminded to confirm their contents and avoid using a loan. A man has been arrested in connection with the attempted abduction of a woman in Nanaimo. RCMP say a man swung a blunt object at a woman's head and tried to force her into a vehicle Thursday night near Max Bennett Pioneer Park. She fought back and managed to get away. Police now say Bradley Dillon Boscariel was located and arrested in the suspect vehicle Friday night. He's been charged with assault with a weapon and attempt to kidnap. But police are still looking for information about a black SUV with three men in it that drove slowly past the victim just before the incident. The vehicle was last seen turning right from Dickinson Road onto Shook Road. They're also still searching for a brown backpack the victim lost during the attack. If you have information, please call Nanaimo RCMP. It was supposed to be simple, but Canadian bureaucracy cost time and a lot of money. What it's taken for a Vancouver woman to get her mum from Ukraine to Canada. And Russia changing its strategy in Ukraine to divide, conquer and starve. Next. In Lviv, Ukraine, a street concert just outside the Lviv Opera House interrupted by air raid sirens on Saturday. 
And with that strike, Ukrainian defense officials say Russia's strategy appears to have changed. Ukraine says Russia is now trying to split the country in two, while its military is now targeting food and gas supplies. Global's David Aiken reports. More than 20,000 people once lived here in Volnovaka, in Ukraine's eastern Donetsk region. Now it is a ghost town, nearly destroyed by Russian munitions. And now, Ukraine's military intelligence directorate says Russia is planning to split Ukraine in two with what the Ukrainians called the Korean scenario. But while the Korean peninsula was split into north and south by war in the 1950s, Russia is aiming for west and east, folding regions like Donetsk into some new kind of country. Ukrainian military forces are doing everything they can to prevent that. And on Sunday, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky released yet another video asking the West, yet again, that his military forces be given tanks and planes. And he angrily taunted NATO powers who have so far ignored these requests, saying, So who is running the Euro-Atlantic community? Is it still Moscow because of threats? Zelensky's demand for help came after Russian cruise missiles hit a fuel storage facility in Lviv in western Ukraine. No deaths were reported, but firefighters spent 18 hours putting the blaze out. A Ukrainian government official said, This is a new twist to Russia's attacks, aiming at fuel and food storage centers, which would force the Ukraine government to disperse stocks of both. David Aiken, Global News. The White House is in damage control after its feared ad-libbed comments by U.S. President Joe Biden could escalate tensions in the war. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Biden made the remarks before a large crowd in Poland about the war in Ukraine on Saturday. Later, White House officials said Biden's comments weren't about regime change, but rather about preparing for an extended conflict in Ukraine. The Kremlin dismissed the remark, saying it's up to Russians to choose their own president. But under Putin's rule, elections have neither been fair nor free. Today, Pope Francis stepped up his calls for further negotiations to end the fighting in Ukraine. During his Sunday blessing, the Pope warned it's time to abolish war before war wipes out humanity. Since Russia invaded Ukraine just over a month ago, the Pope has criticized Moscow and condemned what he calls an unjustified aggression. But he has not cited Russia by name as the aggressor. In Vancouver, the Ukrainian national anthem was sung loud at the art gallery this afternoon. More than a thousand people showing their support for Ukraine. But with fighting now in its second month, there's growing concern about the help being offered in Canada. Ukrainians and their allies in Vancouver say they're ready to welcome refugees with open arms. Canada is offering Ukrainians three-year visitor visas, but those visas don't come with any other supports for refugees. This is very um, unsupported arrangement for everyone who is coming to this country because it doesn't give any support in accommodation, in, uh, no income, no employment. So we are, we really we are struggling in putting all this together and you know finding the funds to to help the newcomers. And tales of bureaucratic nightmares are being echoed by a Vancouver woman who flew to Europe after her mother escaped her native Ukraine. Paul Johnson tells us what it cost her and why she's still dealing with visa issues. 
I'm originally from Kharkiv, Ukraine, and um, my mother was still living there um, as of a couple weeks ago. Kharkiv, a city few Canadians had even heard of. After Russia's onslaught, it's now one you're not likely to forget. Elena Hammond's 66-year-old mother, Irina, made the decision to get out two weeks ago. Here's what her apartment looked like. Daughter Elena started making arrangements with the government. I applied for her super visa, which is the regular program. This was always in place. It's a visa that allows parents and grandparents to stay, I believe, up to two years. Most importantly, uh, to make sure we're able to take in as many Ukrainians who are fleeing uh, the violence as possible. Given Ottawa's frequent statements on solidarity with Ukraine and the urgency with which it views the refugee crisis, Hammond expected her mother's journey through the federal bureaucracy would be swift and barrier-free. She was surprised. It still wasn't enough. It still was very confusing. Confusion about where to go and what forms to complete. Their odyssey took them through three countries in Europe and likely cost them more than 10 grand. They did get a visa in less than two weeks, but then another catch. What we found out just yesterday when we arrived is that the actual visa was a tourist visa. So my mom is only allowed to stay here for six months. A tourist visa for a woman who is indisputably a refugee. Another snafu Elena will have to sort out. We weren't able to reach anyone with immigration, refugees and citizenship Sunday to find out about that. While Elena can work on her mother's status with her safely in Vancouver, she worries for the many other refugees who likely won't have a well-resourced family member already in Canada. We asked if she could give Ottawa a grade on its performance. What would that be? See? In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. When we come back, still a long way to go. This confirms what we've always stated. Why the B.C. Assembly of First Nations says the safe streets bylaw in one B.C. city is racist and discriminatory. And later, something to cheer about. Canada's men's soccer team breaks a 36-year streak. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Pedestrian in Surrey has been seriously injured, struck by a vehicle overnight. Surrey RCMP say one person was rushed to hospital after being hit on Highway 10 near 124th Street just after midnight. The eastbound lane of the highway was closed for several hours as officers investigated. Anyone with information or dash cam footage is asked to contact Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. The city of Prince George has withdrawn its appeal in a court case over a local encampment and is now apologizing for, quote, inflicting serious harm on vulnerable people. The case concerns the encampment on Lower Patricia Boulevard, also known as Moccasin Flats. City officials had used heavy equipment to remove portions of the encampment, saying they believed it had been abandoned. 
The city lost an earlier court ruling in its efforts to close down the camp. Then on Thursday, the city announced it was no longer appealing the case and that upon reviewing additional external legal advice, it was reevaluating its approach and response to homelessness and homeless encampments. The city added it sincerely apologized to all those who experienced trauma from their actions. Earlier in the week, two scathing reports from the B.C. Assembly of First Nations found troubling results when it comes to Prince George's Safe Streets bylaw. Regional Chief Terry Teague says the reports confirm it's inherently racist and discriminatory against unhoused people. CKPG's Oli Herrera dives into the report and tells us what some people experience living on the streets. In just 25 pages, months of discrimination, racism, lack of training, and more was found by Prince George bylaw officers towards unhoused people. That's according to two reports published from the B.C. Assembly of First Nations. It just confirms what we've always stated. On Monday, the Assembly hosted a press conference releasing their findings and expressing their concerns over what the city is doing. In one of the reports, nearly 430 different files regarding Safe Street bylaw issues was examined, stemming from both complaints from the public and bylaw-initiated patrols. It looked at the nature of complaints, terminology used to describe offenders, how each situation was resolved, and more. One of the shocking things that the report found was that of all the 427 files, outreach workers were contacted by bylaw officers only three times, but RCMP officers were called 19 times. Bylaw isn't working. It discriminates not only uh, Indigenous peoples who make up 70 to 80 percent of the homeless population, but it discriminates all homeless people. The report found that there is inherent discrimination through the use of terminology and how the nature of complaints are described. Within investigations, bylaw officers themselves would describe subjects as squatters nearly 29% of the time, followed by people or persons, but only 4% of the time were they described as homeless. The author of the report concluded that the bylaw is punishing homelessness and calls it absurd. What possible use uh, is this form of policing. It's true that the police or the bylaw officers have not issued any tickets, but they're engaged in an informal form of enforcing the bylaw, where almost without exception they will move on individuals, make them pack up their tents and belongings, and just move them along. Unhoused people said they felt unsafe in the presence of officers. One woman claimed that she was being hit on by officers daily. The 35-year-old said, quote, he'd hit on me. He was like, let me take you out for dinner and stuff, and he made me feel very uncomfortable. The assembly says that the officer in question was later fired. What was characterized the bylaw uh, as an education tool, it isn't. There is no education in terms of what the bylaw is trying to do, nor is there an education on, on uh, possible help for the people that are uh, needing the help that are, that are homeless. The city says it needs time to review the findings of the reports before making a comment. Ali Herrera, CKPG News. Stay with us up next. It hasn't happened since Expo 86. That's right. It's been 36 years since the Canadian men's soccer team has made it to the World Cup. We've got local reaction next. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
Yesterday was the busiest day of the year so far for Central Okanagan Search and Rescue. In a sign of just how busy they were, members of COSAR were called out after a check presentation of $17,000 by the family and friends of Ryan Fletcher. He died in December in a snowboarding accident at the Big White Mountain Ecological Reserve. Well, the money will go towards training and a new building. Then at 12.30, a call came in to assist Penticton Search and Rescue to find somebody missing in the Summerland area. Two hours after that, the team was called to rescue four hikers in Okanagan Mountain Park. One of them had fallen through a snow bridge into a creek. The whole group had to be lifted out by helicopter. And a new search and search dog training facility is set to open in Kamloops this spring. Want to find some drugs? Good boy. Top dogs and their handlers are already testing out the new headquarters for the search, rescue and detection canines of B.C. The 9,000 square foot facility is being funded by the Cooper Family Foundation through its new development on Kamloops North Shore. The canine hub will be outfitted with specialized training equipment for dogs, along with lecture halls, grooming areas and dog-friendly hallways. Good boy! The people that come in here say, well, this is way too nice for a dog training center because most people are used to training inside a garage or something. But this is, I mean, talk about a safe place to train your dog. Anybody that has any interest in dogs or what dogs do, and this will be the hub for people to come from all over. Looks like they even had a doggy shower there. The facility is expected to open in May. There are also plans for a mix of commercial and office spaces in the renovated building. Cool. And for the first time in 36 years, Canada's men's soccer team is headed to the World Cup. We're going to have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, I caught a glimpse of the forecast earlier today, and it was like, oh, it's better. Yes, it's improving. There mm-hmm. are some bright spots. I may be a bit of a soggy start for back to work and school, and I'll have that forecast, but you can anticipate, especially getting ready and out of the door tomorrow morning. We're currently seeing a few light showers. Temperatures are sitting at 9 degrees. We've got a northwesterly wind at 20 kilometers per hour, and here's the spotty showers that we'll continue to see. We could see some heavier pockets and periods of rain this evening, and then leading us in towards the morning hours. So a heads up, a bit of a soggier start for all areas along the south coast. We will be tracking that rainfall, but it is a bit of a blip as we get in towards the afternoon. And for after school and work, we are going to see a clearing that is on the way with drier conditions. Highs tomorrow will be up to 12 degrees. Average for this time of the year sits at 11. Then we've got drier conditions as we get in towards the evening. So not a complete washout for tomorrow morning. Now here's a satellite and reader. What we're anticipating for this evening and for tomorrow, a break in behind it. And this will likely be tomorrow night and continuing in towards our Tuesday. Most areas in the future cash will show us that blip in the forecast right across the board and then by the afternoon there's that break that is on the way and then drier with some sunshine even the mix for Tuesday. Now, along the northern half of the province, also bright. Areas inland near Terrace bumping up to 12 degrees. A few flurries just for the early morning hours will be for the peace and much of the central interior. Cloud cover in the morning, a clearing as we get in towards the afternoon. However, for the southern half of the province, it'll likely still stay as showers through the day, a bit breezy at times. A few spots could see those gusts between 40 and up to 50 kilometers per hour. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes tomorrow, freezing levels high, we've got milder temperatures, it'll be falling as rain, but also 
also checking with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions, but we are looking at milder temperatures. We can see that even in the Okanagan, 15 is the high for tomorrow. Whistler into the double digits up to 11 degrees. It'll even be a touch warmer for the Fraser Valley tomorrow. Highs up to 16. Bulk of the moisture and rainfall overnight and for tomorrow morning. Breaks as we get in through the day tomorrow. A nice clearing on the way. It'll brighten up. Temperatures will climb up to 12 degrees. Next round of rain will be for Tuesday night leading in towards Wednesday. So it is on and off, but a bright spot on our Tuesday, a clearing for tomorrow afternoon, and some sunshine so far. A look ahead towards our Thursday, Friday so far. Very nice. Thanks, Yvonne. Teams and fans uh, faced year after year of disappointment, but not today. For the first time since 1986, the Canadian men's soccer team has qualified for the World Cup. And as Kamal Karamali reports, they did so on Canadian soil. This is the sound of Canadian soccer history being made. The men's team is heading to the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar later this year. The red and white had a chance to clinch Thursday night, but a loss to Costa Rica put the celebrations on hold. For Sunday's match against Jamaica, though, fans woke up with confidence. I'm always excited, but this is particularly exciting. Today was going to be the day. It's amazing. You know, everybody's enjoying the game. You can see the energy. And surely it was. It's the first time the Maple Leaf will be represented on the big stage since 1986. We're all going to be talking about when we were here at this pub, <laughs> when we qualified. It's massive. I wasn't alive last time Canada was in the World Cup. And those who were alive to remember it say this time it feels different. Huge uh, growth. Um, you know, look at the kids now that have been attracted to the game, the way the women have played, um, and now the men. It's just, it's great. Just ask Canadian soccer icon Bob Lenarduzzi. There's a good chance this squad can surprise many teams when the World Cup kicks off in November. And that realistic goal to me is getting out of the first round and getting to the knockout stage. And at that point, Anything could happen. Either way, the beautiful game will continue to grow in this beautiful nation this year and even looking to 2026 when Canada is set to be one of the host countries for the World Cup. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A Yay. little excited, just a little. I love that guy who said he wasn't even alive, um, which makes me think of Yvonne. I just won. So. <laughs> okay, at least you were here. He's young. Actually, only one player on the Canadian team was alive. Oh, wow. Qualified last, so it's quite amazing. It's really, uh, it's such going from literally the outhouse to the penthouse. That's yeah. the story here. <laughs> totally. Because the men's national team has been an abomination for two decades, up until maybe last four or five years it started mm -hmm. to turn around so, so nice. it's quite unbelievable so if you haven't seen them yet we'll go through the highlights again it's like when uh, when Canada does well there's an amazing game you can't watch the goals enough I mean we're going to be seeing these over and over so oh, yeah. highlights of that we'll hear from John Herdman coming up and Canada goes for a bronze at the world curling up in uh, Prince George oh well. terrific looking forward to it thanks Barry and up next as one war rages preserving memories of another the Germans were still dropping mortars in some of the squares. And the new film about Canada's greatest generation, here to talk about their sacrifices. That's next. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. 
Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Like so many World War II veterans, Nanaimo's Nick Janicki was reluctant to talk about his experience overseas. But now the 98-year-old is opening up about the importance of sharing the sacrifices he and others made. And they're all being recorded in a new Made in B.C. film. Jada Rent has more in tonight's This is B.C. At Duran, tanks of the 1st Canadian Armoured Brigade link up with the brigade of the 1st Canadian Div. They are stories from heroes that one day will be lost. And two helicopters came over. A new documentary in production is capturing the memories of many surviving veterans of the Second World War. The Germans were still dropping mortars in some of the squares, and as you came around corners, there were still people firing. Nanaimo's Nick Janicki was 22 when he entered the war. He is just now sharing his story, as difficult as it may be at times. My brother David was killed in action. Janicki has recently held Zoom chats with students, recalling the bravery he and the Canadian Scottish Regiment showed in the latter stages of the war. We chased the Germans over the Heisel River. The, the bridges, the, the rail bridges were all blown up. In Holland, there is real cause to He cheer. was there for the hero's welcome in the Netherlands during the liberation. And in the town of Deventer, he took notice of a Dutch girl waving from a window. I looked up and, of course, I immediately thought, oh, she's waving at me, but then could have been any one of the guys. Nick memorized the address, went back later that day and met Dorothy. 58 years later, they would reconnect. And for the second time in his life, Nick would get married. It just seemed as if... That's what it was to be, eh? Veterans Affairs Canada estimates there are around 20,000 Canadian Second World War veterans still alive. The film Roadside Heroes will share some of their stories. After many years, Nick Janicki is finally opening up about his. How do you forget about it, really, eh? I think it's just so important that people should know, eh? Jay Durant, Global News. And you know the drill. If you have a good BC story, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Barry has sports next, including more about Canada advancing to the World Cup soccer finals and later how Russian and Ukrainian sailors saved a Calgary man off the coast of Africa. Stay with us. some delicious baked goods and support the community. Join Cobb's Bread for their second annual Donation Day on April 2nd. For every purchase of a six-pack of hot cross buns, Cobb's will donate $2 to support local charities in the community. Pink Floyd's Roger Waters is coming to Vancouver. Don't miss your chance to see the legend as he rocks Rogers Arena on his This Is Not A Drill tour coming September 15th. Tickets on sale now at rogerswaters.com. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Barry's here now with Sportson. I'm wondering about the Herdman effect. 
on this team? Well, amazing. You know, this guy turned the uh, women's program or made them into champions. And uh, literally four years to the day that he takes over, delivers on that promise of taking them to the World Cup. Thanks so much, Colleen. It was uh, only fitting that the stage for Canada's epic soccer moment took place on a cold, windy, snowy day. You knew Canada would not be denied qualifying at home on their own frozen tundra for just their second ever World Cup. You could feel the energy hours before kickoff in Toronto, and it hit a crescendo before the game with an anthem for the ages that literally gave you chills. Are they ready? BMO bursting at the seams, anticipating a celebration 36 years in the making. Didn't take long for Canada to help them release some of that nervous energy. Stephen Eustachio for Kyle Laren, who finishes beautifully. Laren just keeps scoring a lot of goals. Canada up 1-0, just 12 minutes in, exactly what they needed. Get an early reward, and they add to it just before halftime. Jonathan David finds Tejon Buchanan. He makes it 2-0. Canada now has so many finishers. What a difference that has made. Not only is this team great, they're so fun to watch. Where in years past, my scoring any goal in international was hard to come by. 2-0 at the half. Lucas Cavallini comes on as a sub for Kyle Lahren. Lucas uh, playing a strong game. Cavallini obviously much healthier than a year ago, regaining his old form. 82nd, Buchanan to Junior Hoylett. Chips it in to make it 3-0. Not that the result was in doubt, but to see Canada ventilate the competition is a welcome sight. We are ranked 33rd in the world now. Not long ago, about 133rd. And when it's going well, it's going well. Former Whitecaps Sam Atacubi with the cross. Knocked in by the Jamaicans for an own goal. Atacubi not complaining. Canada... Just giddy with excitement. Everything going their way. And then the final whistle and the long wait is finally over. 36 years between World Cups, nine competitions, but Canada's back. They did it in style at home with conviction. An amazing performance. And all without Alfonso Davies the past five matches out with myocarditis. But he'll be in Qatar for the World Cup this winter. I'm just happy for these lads. You know, when I first took over and I said, we're going to go into a World Cup, we'll qualify, I don't think they believed us. And I'm happy for them because all of these fans, they've waited, they've waited, they've waited, and they've hung in with us. And we're going. They're going, that's for sure. Now, Canada plays Panama in its final match Wednesday in Panama, but, but Canada's already clinched first in the CONCACAF qualifying standings. Also today... The United States pasted Panama 5-1 in Mexico and Costa Rica also won. But none of those three have actually clinched a spot yet in Qatar. It'll come down to the final match on Wednesday. Two of those three will qualify directly. The fourth place team will have to play a sudden death match versus New Zealand to get to the World Cup. The World Cup draw is coming up this Friday, April 1st. And the actual World Cup goes November 21st to December 18th. All right, let's stick with another great Canadian sport. Curling, World Women's Curling from Prince George. Canada taking on Sweden for bronze. Eighth end, Carrie Anderson with an opportunity for three. The angle raised double, almost pulls it off. Still got two, was looking for three, but Canada still leads 7-5. This would go to an extra end. Canada with hammer. 
And just a quiet takeout required for Anderson, and she comes through in the clutch. Canada takes it 8-7 in 11 ends. They win the bronze at the Women's World Curling Championships in Prince George. And going on right now, gold medal match between Switzerland and South Korea. The Swiss have been untouchable. 13-0 this week. They've won uh, three world titles in the last four years, but Korea hanging tough. Draw for two there to tie it, and right now they are deadlocked 6-6, playing the 10th end. The Canucks finish off their four-game road trip tomorrow night in St. Louis against the Blues, needing another heroic effort to keep their playoff hopes alive. Fifteen games to go, probably need to win 11 of them at least. A tall order, but not an impossible one. They have played their best hockey with the pressure on, and right now it is on every night. NHL tonight, Jets and Coyotes from Winnipeg. The Jets can jump ahead of the Canucks with a win late first. Paul Stashney looking for Mark Scheifele, and nice play by Scheifele there to get a piece of it, to tip it in. one nothing Jets after one. Arizona tied it in the third. They needed overtime, and in the dying seconds of OT, it's Scheifele on the breakaway and snaps it in for the winner. 2-1 Jets win, so they are now a point ahead of the Canucks in the standings in the West. And we'll also check in with the Panthers and Leafs. Toronto all of a sudden now a wild card team in the very competitive Eastern Conference. Leafs get the early jump opening minute. West fans, Morgan Riley, he's a defenseman. What's he doing down there? Nice little redirection for his seventh of the year. one nothing Toronto. Second period now 2-2. Mitch Marner is going to find John Tavares at the lip of the crease. Second power play goal of the night for the Leafs captain. And Toronto goes on to win this one 5-2 over first place Florida. WGC match play from Dallas. Corey Connors, first Canadian to ever make it to the semis, taking on former champ Kevin Kistner on the 11th. How about this? From 39 feet for birdie, ties the match. Connors won the next hole to take the lead, but by the 17th, tied again. Connors off the green on the par three, just hammers it by. He would make bogey, and he ends up losing to Kistner Two up, but it's off to the third place match for Connors against Dustin Johnson, a former champion of this event. Connors really took this one by the horns, which is a good thing in Texas. Third hole rolls in the 19 footer, and Connors won the first three holes. And then at the sixth, he'll put in another short birdie to go four up, and he cruised from there as Corey Connors takes down Dustin Johnson. Three and one, nice payday for Corey. 800. $52,000. And the championship match, Scotty Scheffler against Kevin Kistner. Scheffler was runner-up last year, would not be denied. Wins the match easily 4-3 and three for his third win in his last four events. And he's also the new world number one, taking over from John Rahm. Quite a month for Scotty Scheffler. Formula One racing under the lights at the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. This race was all about Formula One champ Max Verstappen and last week's season opening winner in Bahrain, Charles Leclerc. The two went back and forth. Verstappen started fourth and quickly made up ground. And on lap 47, he took this opening and overtook Leclerc and never looked back as Verstappen gets his first win of the season, 21st of his career. Leclerc second, his Ferrari teammate Carlos Sainz third. Lewis Hamilton placed 10th, and Lance Stroll of Montreal was 13th. And BC has lost one of its great sportsmen. Glenn Todd has passed away. He was a staple in the thoroughbred racing industry for nearly 60 years, one of the most successful owners at Hastings Park, and really a pillar of the horse racing community. But he also started up the White Rock Renegades softball program as in the BC Sports Hall of Fame. So our condolences to the Todd family. Great man lost today.
Colleen, that is it for sports. Absolutely echo those condolences. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Barry. When we come back, a Canadian rescued by a crew made up of Russian and Ukrainian sailors. A story you'll want to hear next. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. man is grateful to be back home today after his boat sank off the coast of Africa last week. He's probably happy to be just about anywhere. As, Carol, as Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, he was rescued thanks to the teamwork of a crew of Russian and Ukrainian sailors. Casper Venter is back to work in Calgary after the adventure of a lifetime. He was with two other men transporting a sailboat from Malaysia to the Caribbean. But last week, by the coast of Madagascar, disaster struck. The boat started to leak. Water was coming in faster than they could pump it out. At nine o'clock, we realized that you know, the ocean was the same level as the deck, and uh, we stepped into the life raft, and uh, shortly after saw the, the mast go behind the, uh, the waves. So then it was gone completely went under you know we couldn't see it anymore so it it just uh, went down with the sailboat now completely under casper and his two crewmates were stuck on a life raft with just five square meters of space the closest ship in the area was a russian oil tanker 150 nautical miles away the men spent 14 hours bobbing in the giant waves waiting for the ship to arrive we got a lot of water in the in the life raft as well and uh, you know waves banging on us uh, through the night so it was uh, it was definitely hair raising we really just sat there quite miserably <laughs> being seasick. After that wet, miserable night, the massive tanker pulled up to the tiny raft, the crew made up of Russian and Ukrainian sailors. It was a very heartwarming experience. Um, they told us that it's a, you know, a mixed crew and they work together. They, they're not interested in politics. They just do their jobs. Um, but they felt like heroes, because they, and, and they were, because they, you know, they saved us. The sailors on the tanker supplied the rescued men with clothes and food and a lift to an island north of Madagascar. They all came and took pictures with us and uh, kind of congratulated us on our second birthdays, as they called it. And, you know, you basically new lease on life. Now safely back home, Casper is already planning his next sea adventure, thankful for the teamwork of strangers. They were working perfectly together in perfect harmony. It was amazing to see that it can be done. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Yeah, the Ukrainian and Russian people are, are close. It's, it's the, the other leader that's the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, Could be an issue. <laughs> just, a, just a bit of an issue. Uh, no real big issues in the forecast, though. No, we just got a bit of a blip, and it'll be rainfall. A bit of a soggy start for tomorrow, heading out to work and school. But it'll actually start to clear as early as the afternoon. We'll have some bright spots. And there are a couple of bright days as well. That looks to be Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday so far. Yay! And that is the news hour for this Sunday night. We'll have more from NITU with the Canadian Indigenous delegation in Rome throughout the week. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. Have a great night.